And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Batter up! Welcome to No Bunts, the show for the casual baseball fan here on the Athletic Network. Thank you for joining us. I am Tass Mellis. With me here in studio, the man making the magic happen, JD. Hello, hello, hello. JD. Making magic happen on a Sunday night, baby. Sunday night baseball. <laughs> yeah, thanks for that, Tess. Thanks very much. Happy to be here, though. It just feels like baseball <laughs> on Sunday night. Had to get you in here, JD. We're going to wrap up the week with the five best things that happened in baseball this week. A player slid. His cell phone dropped out of his pocket. <laughs> we had baseball wedgies. We had a reporter who injured himself mm. pretty badly. Yeah. Is that part of the best things in baseball this week? Good question. Well, he jumped right back on the horse and started reporting as well. We had the perfect bunt. Got to report on that. We will talk about uh, some serious stuff as well. Not just the jokey jokes. The Atlanta Braves, who arguably are playing the best baseball in the majors. And also the New York Yankees, who inarguably are not playing well at all. They are struggling. And to talk about the New York Yankees, we've got Chris Kirshner of The Athletic on with us. Chris, Yankees beat writer. Sorry to bring you on during this uh, troubling time, Chris, but uh, appreciate you coming on. Yeah, I appreciate you guys for having me. Thanks, Chris. Uh, and, and, you know, before we start on the team, congratulations to you because if people don't know, you were the Atlanta Hawks beat writer for several years, four years with uh, The Athletic, recently got the Yankees job, which you called your dream job. So how's the dream going? Well, not going well. Uh, <laughs> a lot of people uh, around the team are calling me the human jinx. People don't want to stand next to me in, in the buffet line because they think I'm, I'm bringing bad luck. So uh, not going well, but I mean, it, it's, it is still a dream to, to be at Yankee Stadium and, and have that place uh, essentially be my office. Well, listen, you joined the Yankees staff, the, you know, writing for them like a month ago. The Yankees were stinkier before that. So, it, you know, if I understand mm -hmm. that you know, people are putting it on you, uh, but it must be great to be in that stadium. You, you mentioned you wrote on The Athletic how you were a fan. You were growing up. One of your favorite players was Paul O'Neill. And today, as we record here on Sunday, was Paul O'Neill Day in Yankee Stadium. Uh, how was it seeing his number retired there amongst the greats in Monument Park? Yeah, I mean, for me personally, it was, it was awesome because, as you mentioned, Paul O'Neill was one of my favorite players. When I first started playing t-ball back in 1996 now, uh, 21 was the number I chose, and, and that was Paul O'Neill's number. Um, but it was really cool. I mean, they had a, a few of the 90s Yankees in town, Nothing says uh, excitement these days than the 90s Yankees. That's really the only excitement going on for the team. Uh, Bernie Williams was in town. Mariano Rivera, Jorge Posada, Andy Pettit. Uh, got a really good ovation from the crowd. Back in 2001, his final game, 
um, at Yankee Stadium, the old Yankee Stadium. The the crowd was chanting Paul O'Neill. They 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 did that a couple times, even throughout the game. Um, but it was really cool to, to see that, um, especially for me, like growing up in the Bronx and you know the the Yankees back then in the '90s and early 2000s. They were the best team. They were the best organization around. But uh, it's been a while since those uh, good days have happened in the Bronx. I like how we're. Uh... We're, you know, we're making it seem like this team is last in the AL East when they've got an eight, <laughs> eight game lead on the Toronto Blue Jays after getting a victory uh, today on Sunday as we record. They lost the first three to the Blue Jays. So, you know, things are uh, a little less bleak after today. But I was surprised just going back quickly to getting Paul O'Neill's number up there in Monument Park. I was surprised they found room for him because the Yankees have the most retired players in the league. They've got 22 numbers up there now, plus Jackie Robinson's. I don't know how they found room, but they did. It, it is a beautiful display, actually, in uh, in the new Yankee Stadium. So it must have been a, a great atmosphere. I just want to go back just to, to your basketball and now your your baseball writing career. What's the big difference, if there is one, between being in a locker room in the NBA and being in an MLB clubhouse? I think the access is way better in baseball than it is in basketball. Um, in baseball, you can really talk to anybody. I, I've had multiple conversations now with the hitting coach, pitching coach, pretty much anybody who's associated with the Yankees organization. If they're on the field, like they're, they're fair game to speak with. When I was thinking about just like the, the access differences, I was thinking to myself like, and would I ever be able to talk to Trey Young or John Collins on the floor, like prior to the game? No. Nate McMillan, the head coach of the Hawks, no. Um, whereas in baseball, like you can interview players in the dugout, you can interview them on the field right next to the batting cage. So I think that's the big difference um, as when it, when it comes to the, the two sports. I think they're very similar um, – with how I approach the job. Yes, I grew up a Yankees fan, but um, I try to approach the job as objectively as possible, even though that, you know, I grew up in the Bronx. I'm, I was born in the Bronx. I lived here. Um, I, I try to approach the job like I have zero connection to the team, and that's what I've tried to do so far. I mean, the team stunk through my three weeks on the job, and I have to report that. Um, so I think that part is the same, whereas, um, you know, with the Hawks, I didn't have any connection to them uh, growing up, but I still approach the job the same way. But I think the biggest difference, though, is certainly the access is, is better, even though like prior to the games, when I'm inside the clubhouse, uh, the Yankees have a tendency to not actually be in there. Um, so I have to get a lot of my interviews on the field or on the road, the, the road access is way better. And that's really the same in, in the NBA. More, more guys are just inside the road um, locker room as opposed to the home one. That's one thing I enjoy about your writing is that you leave the bias at the door. Even when you were with the Atlanta Hawks, I know there are people mentioning to you, hey, why didn't you vote for Trey Young for all NBA? And you, you know, you brought it and you said, <laughs> I am a, a writer for the team. I'm not, I'm not a fan of the team, and I appreciate. Well, I, I did write. I did vote for Trey for All NBA. The, they were mad because I voted him third team instead of second team, which I think is the silliest thing. It's he's the, one of the top 15 players in the league. 
it's an honor. He still gets his max money regardless if he's first team, third team, doesn't matter. Oh, so maybe it was last. Just, maybe it was last year. I don't know that. I also voted for him last year oh, as well. Oh, okay. Hey, you're a fanboy, Chris. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. You're a lo- you lose either way. Uh, yeah, Trey Young deserved it this year for sure. Um, he's yeah, he's been obviously uh, a light here uh, with the Atlanta Hawks. You know, being an Atlantan down here. Uh, and I say a light because they've had their ups and downs. I wonder, do you find it more, what's the word, more, more more gratifying or more fulfilling or just a bigger challenge, I guess, writing for a team that's struggling versus a team that's good? Is, is it is it more fun for you to, to, to sort of, you know, uh, to go through it with the team when they're struggling versus when they're good, when it's probably easier to write? something when they're playing really well yeah i mean when in my first two years covering the hawks they won 20 games that first year 29 the second but there were no expectations for the hawks they were built to lose they were built to accumulate draft picks whereas the yankees there's expectations to win the title every single year even though it hasn't happened since 2009 the the expectations don't ever change with with the Yankees. So like right now, when they're five and 14 now, after today's win against the blue Jays in the month of August, it's, I think it's more challenging because of those expectations. Like these players are expected to perform at a very high level and many of them simply are not. So it's kind of hard to talk to those players for me, especially because I'm jumping in the middle of the season. None of them, know who I am. None of them know what I'm about. And at the same time of their struggles, like I have to somehow build at least a surface level relationship with these guys to tell the best stories. So that part is extremely hard. Also, like there's just way more coverage of the Yankees. Um, I'm trying to think today, there are around 20 reporters covering the team. Whereas with the Hawks, there were maybe... I don't know, five-ish. There were only two reporters on the road, me and Sarah Spencer, who now covers college football for the AJC. Um, So it it was just easier to cover with fewer people. Now it's 20 people. I can't ask all the questions that I want just because there are way more people around. So I think that's probably the hardest thing. But And I also think it's hard for me to jump into a, a new sport. I've never covered baseball before. Uh, baseball is my favorite sport. I played it all my life. Um, but there's still things like you don't know. Like I've ne- I never played on the professional level or the collegiate level. So like, there are a lot of little intricacies that I just don't know. But I also think that's helpful because if you approach the job not knowing anything, I think most of the time people respect you. And they, they don't appreciate when, you know, reporters try to act like they know it all. Like I've always approached the job acting like I don't know anything and I want to learn. So I think for me, that is uh, a a thing that I feel like has helped me since I've become a professional reporter. All right. Well, with this team, as you said, five and 14 in August, 18 and 27 since July 1st, I know you wrote yesterday, this isn't a blip. This is a pretty large chunk of the schedule where they have been struggling, like almost 30% of the schedule since July 1st where they've been struggling. Is the concern that these are the real Yankees that we're watching right now? Or 
is that other 70% of the Yankees season the real Yankees? I mean, I think it's certainly in between. I don't think they are a team that was on pace for, what was it, like 120-ish yeah. wins at one point of the season. Now they're, I think they're just at 100 or just below 100. So, I mean, I think for, for the Yankees, they're not this team that they've shown recently, especially in the month of August. I think it's just a combination of them not hitting um, really at all. Even in today's game, they needed a late home run from Andrew Benintendi. They scored early off of a Blue Jays error. It's, they're, they're not really hitting um, well in those situational moments, especially with runners in scoring position. Um, I think for now, it's, what are we, August 21st, we're recording this. It's still like, we still have like 40 games to go in, in the season. I, I think for the Yankees, they have so much talent on on both sides pitching and on offense that i think they should be fine you know if they lost to the blue jays today and got swept and, and the lead was down to six i mean i definitely think there's reason to be concerned and panicked over the possibility of them you know losing the east they still play the blue jays three more times they still have several more matchups to go with the rays the orioles are hot they still play them so I think like the the East is certainly not over with. I, I think it's going to be hard for any of three of those teams to actually win the division. So I think that's wrapped up. But looking forward, I mean, obviously with the Yankees, the, the conversation is always about the postseason. What can they do there? I think when we get to the ALDS, they should be able to beat any of the teams that they sh- uh, could possibly match up with Toronto, Baltimore, if they get in there, Seattle. They got to be a little scared of the Jays, though. After after this weekend, I mean, I think with with Toronto, um, they play them so many times that they know each other very well. I think that I think out of all the teams that they could possibly play in the ALDS, Toronto would be the team that, if I was the Yankees, I'd be this most scared of. Um, Cleveland, Minnesota, Chicago, if they somehow turn it around, like. I, I wouldn't really be too concerned. I think Toronto's probably the one team um, in the ALDS that the Yankees should be scared of. But I think all the focus is really on can this team actually beat the Astros? Um, right now, I, I don't know if they can beat the Astros with, with how they're playing and, and what we've seen recently. Yeah, the Astros are playing absolutely incredible. Good thing for the Yankees, though. The Blue Jays got their uh, Kawhi Leonard moment out today. Because that was a wild, wild home run Whit Merrifield hit into right field. Never seen a ball bounce on top of the fence twice. If you're watching with us on YouTube, I call it a Kawhi moment because it literally bounced twice on the fence before going out. It was wild to see. The the Jays, uh, yeah, I I think would be... uh, more confident facing the Yankees than they would be against the Astros after uh, after seeing uh, this weekend. But yeah, the Yankees have lost six straight series. As you said, you know, 40 games to go. It's a long season. But what is the, the number one biggest concern that you've seen here over the last uh, you know three weeks since you've been with them, but six weeks since they've really been struggling? I think the the number one concern is just the amount of players who they should be counting on just not performing well you know josh donaldson's one of those guys you know he hit the walk-off grand slam the other night um you know i thought that was the possibility of them potentially turning 
their season around for what they've been struggling for, you know, almost two months now. And then they lose three straight, but he's someone who they are paying to perform at a much higher level. And he just hasn't, uh, Glaber Torres for second baseman. He hasn't really hit well for several weeks now. He's someone that they've been trying to rely on and, and they haven't, um, Anthony Rizzo's gone through a stretch where he hasn't really hit well. I mean, there there are several guys on the Yankees, Aaron Judge included, who've struggled. I'm not really concerned about Aaron Judge, but um, there are just several offensive players who haven't hit well. And, and when you go into the postseason and, and you face a team that has two or three really good starters and these guys are still not performing come October, that's concerning. I also think it's a little bit concerning that uh, you know, Garrett Cole, who's supposed to be their ace, hasn't he's had some games where he's been absolutely incredible. Like when he's locked in, he's one of the toughest pitchers to to go up against. But, you know, I I think for the Yankees, like they need to see more out of him, um, especially come October. You know, I think a lot of Yankees fans are still thinking about his performance against Boston in the wild card game last year and if that's gonna continue into October this year I think they just need more out of him but I think for now if Aaron Judge is is slumping at all like where is the offense coming from and that's what we've seen recently is is Judge has gone through a little slump and there's really no offense around him to pick him pick him up um, because so many guys throughout the lineup are struggling they had a bench Aaron Hicks for several games who has been a disaster really all season long um and Andrew Benintendi, who, who hit the go-ahead home run today, since coming over from Kansas City, is hitting under 200. So there's really just nobody um, other than DJ LeMay, who's, who's been pretty solid, who has had a consistent streak throughout these past several weeks now. Well, manager Aaron Boone had enough on uh, Saturday after the game was so angry that he hammered the table. Uh, my question is for you, during that press conference, were you in the room? And if you were, were you startled when he hammered that table? No, I was not startled. Um, <laughs> I, I actually thought it was pretty funny. I mean, just from watching numerous press conferences of Boone's when I was a fan, um, I don't recall him ever having that kind of emotion. He's usually a very outwardly calm guy but like knowing Yankees fans I know uh, they definitely eat up any sort of performative act like that where mm-hmm. someone is angry um, like even today when Garrett Cole was 50 feet away from Alec Manoa after he um, hit Judge in the elbow with a pitch and it's like are you really actually going to do anything? But Yankees fans eat that stuff up. They, they love that and they love the drama. Um, so no, I mean, I wasn't startled. <laughs> I, I honestly thought it was, it was funny because it did seem like a little bit of an act, but as a writer, it's like, Oh, like now we can use this because it's, it's great fodder for the fan base. You're like Kobe with Matt Barnes uh, shoving a ball in his face, <laughs> standing there stoic. I mean, I would have been rattled for sure. It did seem like, you're right, uh, I think Boone was 
doing something, anything uh, mm-hmm. to try and uh, rally the troops because his team is so freaking good. All the talent that they have in there. It is odd seeing Aaron Judge back to him in his chase for 60 in a bit of a slump because he's been sitting on 46 for a while, <laughs> which is you know odd to say the dude is you know screaming towards 60 home runs, but he is. Yeah, it, it hasn't been his best couple weeks. He hasn't homered in nine games. Are teams pitching him a little bit differently recently? Yeah, I mean that's something that um, he and and Boone have talked about. They're they're pitching to him much more carefully. They're picking their spots, um, and I mean I, I think for for him and the Yankees themselves with how badly they've been playing, I mean they're not going to say that he's pressing, but um, I mean it's I think it's certainly a fair thing to wonder if he is pressing because a lot of pressures on him to get the Yankees out of this rut that they're in. So I think it's a combination of pitchers being much more careful with judge and picking their spots. Um, and I think it's also a combination of him trying to create production because they just haven't had any, I think, um, something that he said, uh, yesterday when he was speaking with reporters after the, the loss on Saturday is that he feels that, for for the Yankees over these past several weeks now, he's he said that one of the things that he's he thinks is going on with the team is everybody is trying to be that guy when they're in the box, that guy who turns it around, that guy who sparks a rally, that guy who you know is the difference maker for them going on a five, six, seven winning, game winning streak instead of just doing the the, the little things necessary to just get on base or, or create a rally instead of trying to get get the big shot. So I think for the Yankees, again, with what we saw in the first three months of the season with how they were playing, especially offensively, I do think that eventually, especially for Judge, like it's going to turn around. Like the, these guys are, are incredibly talented. They have, when they're all in sync, they have one of the best lineups in, in the league. So I think it's just a matter of time until they turn it around. I know they have uh, Max Scherzer and Jacob deGrom Monday and Tuesday in a two-game set against the Mets. But after that, they have seven games against the A's and the Angels, two teams that they should beat up pretty easily. And for the Yankees, I think they're hoping that they can figure out the offense at that point. And Giancarlo Stanton, who's making um, a rehab assignment this weekend with – double a somerset he should be back for the oakland series so i think they're hoping that by the time that that series begins on thursday and then going into the anaheim series that they have that figured out by then yeah stanton coming back should definitely help their double a team is called somerset somerset patriots wow it's a great name that's a very good name um i'm not into the sabermetrics the 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 hardcore analytics in in baseball but i did see this regarding judge on the blue jays broadcast they noted that he has struggled against the off-speed pitch which is classified as change-ups or split finger and i was on Statcast looking this up didn't think i'd ever see the day where i was on Statcast, but it's true he's hitting 171 against split finger pitches split fingers or change-ups or fork balls or screw balls but i don't i don't think anyone throws those and he's only a 289 slugging against those pitches now Obviously, pitchers can't throw those all the time, but I thought that was an interesting stat that there seems to be 
something uh, that can get out Aaron Judge and seeing him strike out against the Jays a couple times today. And we had that little uh, quick little fracas there when Alec Manoa hit him. Uh, you know, that was uh, maybe he's pressing, um, but it, he is. He doesn't look like Aaron Judge uh, recently, but yeah, I guess I guess that's basically the the old adage: hitting is contagious, and so is not hitting. Uh, they are uh, you know struggling up and down uh, the roster, and it got you tweeting something which I found pretty funny. You tweeted on Saturday. You said, "This is pathetic." So what's the most <laughs> what's the, what's the most pathetic thing about the Yankees right now? I mean, I think the most pathetic thing is like they're the Yankees. Like they should be fun they should be exciting to watch they should be mashing balls all over the park and they're just not they're just really boring to watch it's boring to watch games when a team is not hitting and it's not that the pitching is is dominant it's not like they've been facing DeGrom for six straight weeks every time they're on the mound I mean no offense to Jose Barrios, but he, he's no Jacob DeGrom. And, you know, they made him look like Jacob DeGrom the other night. Um, so I think that's just the the frustrating part about just watching this team right now. It's just no matter who's on the mound, it feels like they're all Cy Young candidates and it's just not exciting to watch. Um, and that's not me speaking as a Yankees fan. It's me like wanting to see exciting games and like, they're just, they're not really exciting games. Even today's game that they won um, for seven innings, they needed help from the Blue Jays making an error from um, center field and it advanced Rizzo to score on a, on a single. um, I think it was like in the first inning. Um, It's just not an exciting brand of, of baseball to, to watch um and i think that's really the most frustrating and and most pathetic part about this is you know they have a a payroll that's 252 million dollars and i would you know some of these nights i would much rather watch the little league world series uh, because it's more exciting yeah I, i saw that clip of uh yankees fans uh, turning the outfield into a barber shop, cutting a, a fan's mm-hmm. hair there because they were that bored. Uh, Oswaldo Cabrera, though, he's fun to watch. Uh, mm-hmm. He's a blast to watch. And as you said, Stanton coming back. Uh, potentially Harrison Bader to come help out. Actually, I wanted to get to him because at the deadline, they got rid of some pitching, trading Jordan Montgomery for outfielder Harrison Bader. Bader hasn't played a, a game uh, for the Yankees quite yet. You questioned why would you give up pitching why why give up something that you just can't have enough of they, they seem to to have enough but it was you know just for the, the the depth factor that you'd keep Montgomery around Bader could help out in the lineup uh, you had a funny interaction with Harrison Bader um, regarding his injury do you remember that no, I don't. Okay, yeah. See, I, that's, I'm prepared. Don't worry, I'm prepared. Um, I don't. You, uh, so you tweeted Harrison Bader on adjusting to the Yankees while being injured. It's definitely been a challenge walking in here in a boot. I'm sure everyone here is like, we traded for a guy in a boot? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, I do remember that. that. That was really funny because, I mean, I think everybody was thinking that. Like, <laughs> This guy's in a boot, and we just <laughs> traded away one of our starting pitchers for a guy who is in a boot. He can't play. So I think um, he realizes that. Um, but watching Aaron Hicks for the past several weeks, I think it's pretty clear why they traded for 
Harrison Bader now. When he's healthy, I think Hicks is just not going to play. And I think there's definitely a chance if um, Bader's healthy and, and Matt Carpenter gets back that Aaron Hicks, who they signed for seven years, $70 million deal is, is off the postseason roster. So I think it's pretty clear just watching where Hicks is at both mentally, competitively, physically. I just, I mean, I, I think that that is the reason why they traded for Bader. As you said, yeah, a couple games with the Mets, very exciting stuff. And then it gets a little bit easier, uh, the A's and the Angels after that. So we will see if that's the even, – even the Mets series. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm here in Atlanta. They struggled against the Mets a couple weeks ago. Then they have uh, the Mets come to town and uh, they take care of business with the Mets. Sometimes playing a good team can uh, turn your season around, although it didn't work against the Jays, who are a good team. Uh, they they should be classified as a, a good team. But anyways, congratulations, Chris, and hopefully you'll come back uh, when these Yankees – we'll keep it positive – when they turn it around uh, later on in the season. Thanks so much. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. No problem at all. Great to talk to Chris Kirshner, Yankees beat writer for The Athletic. we got to take a quick break, but we'll be talking about the Atlanta Braves and the five best things that happened in baseball this week right after the break. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Welcome back to No Buns. I'm going to talk about those hot Braves. Envy of the league, some may say. To talk about him, we've got David O'Brien of The Athletic, Braves beat writer, also co-host of 755 is Real podcast, along with uh, former Braves reliever Eric O'Flaherty. Love listening to that. David, thank you for joining us. Really appreciate you coming on. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, the Braves, uh, man, what a, what a couple weeks we'll make. You know, just there's this, this a great feeling after taking care of the Mets three of four, then two of three with the Astros here as we record on Sunday. I feel like they're playing as well as anyone in baseball. And, and thinking about going going back to last season, obviously they're World Series champions, but at this point of the season, through 120 games, they were just sort of peeling away from 500. So can you compare the locker room at this point of the season now compared to last year? Um, well, they had a great clubhouse both years, and I think that was why they were able to overcome that uh, kind of tread and water for so long last year and had so many injuries, including losing Ronald Acuna, who was playing at an MVP caliber rate before he got hurt right before the break. But I think it was having such a great clubhouse really allowed them to get through that last year. They never got down on themselves. They always kept – I kept talking to Charlie Morton about it, and it was his first year with the team, but he just kept talking about what a good room it was and how they they still believed, even though they realized people were getting frustrated and they hadn't done it yet, they still believed they had that run in them. 
And then, you know, of course, they added Jock Peterson coming out of the All-Star break, and then they made the trade for three more outfielders at the trade deadline, and it ended up what we all thought was kind of overkill. Why are you trading for so many outfielders? All of them ended up having a huge part in the thing down the stretch, and all of them also fit in really well into their team chemistry. So that was a great clubhouse with Freddie Freeman and all that. But this is, too uh, – the guys they brought in have all fit in really well. The they've had if if it was if there's been one factor that's bigger than anything in their turnaround because they were, you know, about four games under 500 at the end of May. If I could point to one factor, it would be uh, the arrival of uh, Michael Harris II, the center fielder, who has played just the best center field I've seen since Andrew Jones, and also been far surpassed expectations at the plate. They thought, you know, if he could keep his head above water, his defense will be good enough to warrant him being here. But instead, he's been one of their best hitters, and he's been their the best hitter uh, in, late, in, in clutch situations, high leverage, late and close situations. He's got the highest OPS in the majors in that period. That's so, amazing. Yeah, he's been tremendous. And then uh, and then also, obviously, Vaughn Grissom, they just brought him a couple weeks ago. He's been terrific. And Spencer Strider, after they moved him from the bullpen to the starting rotation at the end of May, or about the same time uh, as the Harris move, uh, he really solidified the back of that rotation. So it's the, those two rookies, Strider and, and Harris, have been at it for three months now, been terrific. And then Grissom came up and really filled a need at second base. So they, those guys have added a lot of energy and to a positivity that was already there, but they've added some energy and everybody seems to have more of a bounce in their step since uh, those, especially Harris, since he took over and centered and, and it's been just been, I, mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it all wins a gold glove as a rookie. I really wouldn't. Wow. Amazing. He definitely the favorite uh, for rookie of the year in the national league. It's such a good story too. local boy here in yeah. Atlanta. He was at the parade last year as a, a minor leaguer, and now he's with the big club, you know, 70 odd games. And Alex Anthopoulos signs him to an eight year deal that just doesn't happen in baseball. No. A, a 21 year old to such a lengthy deal, so youngest I, player in the majors, right? Yeah, and Von Grissom, now they got two of the three youngest players yeah. out there. Uh, so he's obviously, if you're calling him a gold glove winner, he's rookie of the year as well, I imagine. Yeah, I would. Um, I think it'll probably be close to unanimous if he keeps playing at this rate by the end. But if there's right now, I would think Spencer Strider is probably second. They'll probably one, two, like they were when they had Kimbrell and Freddie Freeman one, two in the rookie of the year. I would think right now those two probably are early on. A couple of the Cubs, a couple other guys were playing really well. But once Harris had about a month under his belt, he kind of, he has kind of put those guys in his wake and, and Strider, um, is going to have the highest strikeout rate ever by a rookie if he keeps up close to this. See, right now he's like like seven-tenths of a strikeout ahead of Kerry Wood, who set the record at 12-9. Strider's at 13-6. He's going to have the highest strikeout rate of any brave starting pitcher ever. Rookie, Hall of future Hall of Famer, anybody. So, I mean, he's been terrific. That's that amazing. Has. Yeah, people keep on ex- – uh, people are continue to expect him to fall off at some right. reason. Uh, I suppose because he hasn't done this before because he was a reliever at first, I suppose, but he just keeps on impressing. And hopefully we'll see him get postseason starts as well. Uh, it's so interesting watching Von Grissom these last couple weeks. He's sort of taken over uh, the storylines. He's been literally in the majors for two weeks, less than two weeks. Yeah. Uh, he's just so impressive with his patience at the plate. I mean, he's got an eye. Struck out on a pitch looking today as we record Sunday. That was out of the zone. And I I, yeah. I, I think he's almost going to get that respect where 
if he takes a pitch, it's out of yeah. the zone. Uh, he, he's just he's he's 21 years old as well. Uh, I, I know people are you know pegging putting him into the the long term lineup here with the Braves already, but short term here when Ozzy Albie's comes back, he's yeah. their, he's their starting second baseman. What do you see Grissom's role as these next couple months and into the postseason? It's a great question, man. It's going to be tough because I see him as a future left fielder, but he hasn't played it at all. And while the Braves are bold and they make moves and they brought up Boston Riley a few years ago after only playing him a handful of games in the outfield down at AAA, this kid literally has played no outfield. So would they make that move in the middle of the season? I don't know that they do it without sending him down to play at least a handful of games in AAA in left field. Uh, and they also have Eddie Rosario and Grossman is playing well. So they really don't have that need that they did before in left field. So I'm not sure what he's going to be able to – what how they're going to use him. They could obviously use him as DH. Um, but Ozzy and Ozzy won't be able to play every day right away, you know, coming back from that broken foot probably. So it'll be interesting. I mean, usually, as Snit says, these things take care of themselves because somebody gets hurt, somebody slumps, somebody does something, you know. But uh, somebody gets arrested. <laughs> Fortunately, that happens rarely. But um, I don't know what they're going to do. But if he keeps playing like this, you know, they're going to have to find a way to get him in the lineup, of course. I mean, if he could fall off, you don't know. He could go through a horrible slump once teams figure out. I mean, he, these teams are getting their first look at him. They had no book on him at all. He came straight from double A. I mean, he hadn't even played in triple A. So yeah. I'm not going to get carried away. But I do think he's their future left fielder. I think they'll get Dansby Swanson signed to play shortstop. And I think this kid will probably move to left field. He's built more like an outfielder anyway. He's probably going to outgrow shortstop. He's about 6'3" rangy it looks like he could easily put on 20 25 pounds and uh, probably doesn't have the range to play shortstop in the majors and he's too big to play second eventually in the majors and they got ozzy albies land long term so it doesn't matter so and he, and, and they, they thought maybe he could move over to third base when they first brought him up but after austin riley signed a 10-year deal that's out of the question as well so it's basically if they re-sign dansby it's basically left field i mean and, and that's where i think he would fit best anyway so but to answer your question, when when Ozzy gets back, I'm not sure what they're going to do. It's a very, very interesting. Good problem to have. Great, great problem to have here yeah. uh, that they're rolling with. As I said to start the segment, the Braves sort of envy of the league to some degree because they are doing it such a good job at locking up their players oh my God. long-term. Team-friendly deals left and right. Man. Very friendly deals. And so that's why I came up with this uh, little diagram here. If you're on YouTube, I'm going to show this to you here. Um the Atlanta Braves have locked up players behind the plate, Contreras, till 2027, Matt Olson, 2030. At second, Ozzie Albies till 2027. We'll get to shortstop in a second. At 2032, you've got Austin Riley at third base. 2028, Acuna and Wright. 2030, Michael Harris just signed that eight-year deal. And the left field shortstop position, as you mentioned there, Danzy Swanson, a free agent, come this offseason. But – yeah, I think you're the only one who suggested that Von Grissom isn't necessarily just going to take that spot, that he could just go to left field and you re-sign Danzy Swanson, who's been phenomenal with Von Grissom here joining the clubhouse the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, I know there's a lot of people that think that Von Grissom will just slip into shortstop. Well, he's not going to be as good a defensive shortstop as Dansby. There's no way. And I think that uh, Dansby has become a gold glove caliber guy. I don't know that he'll win one this year, but he's playing that level of defense. I, I just think uh, they keep you keep losing a piece of your this culture, this vaunted chemistry that they always talk about, and which has helped them become 
such a good contending team every year. They won four straight division titles. And a lot of that has had to do with having great leadership, great team chemistry. You lose Freddie Freeman, you bring in another great guy in Olsen, but he's not a he's not a leader type guy, a talkative guy. Maybe he'll grow into that, become that, but he's not that guy. Austin Riley's not that guy. They're not loud vocal guys. Dansby Swanson is an integral part of this thing and has been he's an Atlanta guy and he is the undisputed captain of that infield. I mean, he calls, he sets up people. Wash, Ron Washington trusts him to set up guys. That's how well he knows the defense. Um and He's also become this year. He's having a great year, his best year in a walk year. He's also become one of their best clutch hitters. Um, he's a solid hitter. He's still a little streaky, but not like he used to be. And he plays every day. I mean, literally every day. He's played all but like three innings this year. He played every game last year. Started every game uh, a one sixty last year, then all sixty the year before that. So, I just think this is a guy that you can't uh, if you got to maintain a a, a, a a string through. You're uh, to keep maintain that culture. He's the guy that I think is the the connecting tissue that you could sign if you can get him for. They haven't gone over 22 million a year. Amazingly, with any of these deals, the Riley contract tops out at 22 million a year. Olson's does. Um, um, the kid his doesn't even Harris doesn't even he goes up to 12 million, then 15 and 20 for two option years. But his before that are way low. So. I think if you could get Dansby at like 20, 21 million a year, he would fit in the payroll still, and they still would have room in the payroll if they wanted to sign Max Fried, I think, sometime. But they could they could afford to re-sign Dansby as long as he's not asking for, you know, 25 million a year. Yeah, the Freddie Freeman connection, uh, I mean, that, that sort of role, as you're mentioning, is really interesting because I, I think the talk about letting Dansby Swanson go and Von Grissom just slipping in there, kind of coincided obviously with Grissom coming played and well but also right. the Michael Harris contract at the same time so right. people are just assuming oh of course right. see you later Dansby but right. going, going back to that Freddie Freeman contract and how he left uh, I'm sure you've been asked this uh, one right. billion times just to go back to that uh, the Harris contract yeah. I think it's because people assume that you know there's another big guy that they sign they can't sign everybody but yeah. if you look at it those five players the most they're all going to make in any year where they're all in there together yeah, this is remarkable. Seventy-seven million dollars. No, it's not. Most of those five guys are going to make. Now you could count. There's a lot of teams that are going to be paying two players seventy-seven million dollars in five or six years. There's some that are paying them two right now that much. So anyway, sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. And when and you're mentioning Olson, Riley, Albies, Acuna, yeah. and now Michael Harris. Yes, yeah, so, so, most that'll ever pay the five of them combined right. is seventy-seven million dollars. Yes, yeah, it's, it's extremely low. Uh, they've they've got some low contract as and yeah I can I can see people already thinking about locking up Von Grissom uh, to a to a minuscule contract yeah, but, know, but they don't have to do that yet but. no they've got time uh, but the fact that Freddie Freeman did go factors into re-signing Danzy Swanson uh, in your opinion and I do I do because I think you have to have some veterans who've been there the whole time and have that culture in mind you can't just turn it over. Uh, you know, like I said, Olsen and Riley are not real talkative guys. I mean, they're talkative guys amongst themselves, but they're not the boisterous, gung-ho uh, leader-type guys. Dansby has be, kind of become that. Darno has become more of that. Uh, and Darno's only signed for one more year. I think you run the risk of it. If you think you can just keep bringing in the right guys, No, you're going to misfire on one of those guys probably. And if you just turn it over to the kids, 
you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, you, you got to have the right guys in, in place to make sure those kids take their cues from the right guys. Dansby sets an incredible example for these guys. And you, if you think you're just going to stick a rookie next year, I think Von Grissom probably still be a rookie, but a 22-year-old at shortstop playing alongside Austin Riley, who credits Austin credits Dansby with helping him become the player he is today. He's constantly getting cues from Dansby, tips and advice from Dansby throughout the game. But if you, if you think you're just going to turn a, the, the, the captainship of the infield over to a rookie and expect it just to continue, uh, yeah, that's a little that's asking a bit much. So what was the reason that Freddie ended up leaving, in your opinion? Man, it's just a cluster F. <laughs> it was just a perfect storm of things that go wrong, you know, beginning with the Braves. I'll just try to boil it down. The Braves waited too long to make him a good initial offer because the Braves were waiting, coming off the pandemic season, they were waiting to see how the profits came back. They wanted to see the quarterly profits. They're a publicly owned company, so they get quarterly profit reports. They wanted to see how they were coming back before they made this long-term commitment to uh, Freddie. They shouldn't have waited, but they did. The reports were terrific. I mean, they rebounded huge. Their attendance, they were one of the first few ballparks to take all the uh, COVID restrictions off last year, so they ended up, I think, second in the majors in attendance. Then they make the run to the World Series, and by the by the time they get to the LCS, the place is boom, and the place is packed. The battery next door that they run, that retail uh, entertainment and residential district that they run is, is doing bonkers every night. So they're raking in the dough. By the time they – then the pandemic, the lockdown hits – they're not supposed to talk to anybody during the, lockout, the lockdown. The Braves are being really sticklers about obeying MLB rules because of the thing with uh, with uh, Coppolella before Alex got here when the heat, Coppolella ends up getting banned for life. The Braves got in trouble. So they make sure they, they follow all these rules. And the other thing is with them kind of having, you know, a dispute with Freddie's agent, the last thing they want is the agent to be able to tell MLB, oh, yeah, they were calling us during the middle of the lockdown or whatever. So anyway, they, they didn't talk for, during the lockdown. Lockdown ends. Freddie's at that point frustrated because the Braves haven't made him what his agent and, and him have, don't believe they've made the kind of offer that Freddie's looking for. He wants that sixth year. They've only offered five. Um, and they're getting here. We are at spring training. Well, Alex, if you know Alex Anthopoulos, he's a guy that always looks big picture, is never going to get caught with his pants down. And, and, and he knew that if they lose Freddie Freeman, the only guy available via trade or free agency that could uh, that could legitimately replace Freddie's production was Matt Olson with Oakland. But the last thing Alex was going to have happen was because Freddie's agent, from people I talked to and from other people who have reported this, gave uh, Alex an, uh, an ultimatum, gave him two offers. Take one of these two offers or that's it. Well, neither one of the offers were anywhere close to what the Braves wanted to commit to Freddie at that point, Right. Now they probably would have come up some, and Freddie would have gladly taken one of those off the, what they what the final offer they made because he wanted to stay in Atlanta. But his agent didn't communicate what they were what they were offering him. Alex, in the meantime, after he gets his ultimatum from the agent, Alex is like, "Well, I'm not going to have them hang leave us high and dry, and I don't have a guy." So he pivots to Olson because there's three or four other teams looking for Olson too. Well, it would have been easy for another team to come in and, and meet that Oakland's asking price. Okay, give, we'll give you in. We'll give you that prospect you've been looking for. And all of a sudden, Olsen's off the board. And the Braves are left going, oh, my, who's going to replace Freddie at third at first base? You're not going to catch, catch Alex Anthopoulos with his pants down. 
No. Never. So never. He so he pivoted quickly, pulled the trigger on the Olsen deal. Freddie was left like, what happened? Because Freddie didn't think that they would do that without coming back to him and giving him a chance, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's what happened. That's, I mean, that's it, the best explanation I've heard. Uh, they they should have taken a page out of the NBA's rules and just tampered, 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 and talked to him yeah. throughout the lockdown. Well, and, and Freddie kicks himself for not telling his agent clearly. He should have told his agent. In the end, whatever happens, in the end, take the best deal we can get from the Braves because that's where I want to be. Mm-hmm. So what happens? He ends up going back to L.A. He's from L.A., but he did not want to go home and play. He wanted to stay here. He loved it here. He wanted to be like Chipper, play his whole career here, be one of the Dale Murphy, Chipper Jones, one of the few guys that's you know a legacy guy here. And uh, so he ends up taking a deal with the Dodgers that gives him that sixth year, but with the deferred money in the contract, and with the twice as high as state income tax in California, it ends up being the same or less money to play there than he would have gotten here. So it's really bad. I felt really bad for Freddie, but, you know. Good for the agent, though, probably. Um, <laughs> uh it, yeah, exactly. it, it, it was an unfortunate situation for Who's sure. Since gotten fired by Freddie, so right, yeah, <laughs> as a, as a result, uh, so very <laughs> that same agent as Dansby's got, by the way. Right, right, and and right. so I understand wanting to keep Dansby around. You bring up good points, just about you know being in the infield, you know, a different position, uh, the heart of the infield as well. Uh, so uh, interesting to see how they go forward. A couple questions before yeah, we'll you, be. uh, before you go, David. Uh, you, you, you mentioned all those outfielders that they grabbed last year at the deadline. You know, Soler, Rosario, Duval, yeah. uh, and, and Jock Peterson, and what a big role they filled. Robbie Grossman, you know, uh, definitely uh, rose-colored glasses here, but watching Robbie Grossman, it's easy to see how that deadline acquisition, you know, a mere few weeks ago, could result in the same sort of thing happening where he is very important to this team. What has Robbie Grossman, a guy that people sort of, you know, uh, discarded as just some other acquisition at the deadline, what has he brought to the team? Well, he's fit in perfectly in the clubhouse, which is always A1 with uh, Alex. You know, after the talent, they got to be a guy that fits in the clubhouse here. He just does not bring in bad guys. Grossman's fit in from day one. But the biggest thing was the Braves analytics people, and the video people had already had an idea why Grossman was sucking so bad with Detroit this year because he was not playing like he had in the past. When the Braves got him, he was hitting from the right side. They were going to use him in a platoon with Rosario in left field just as a platoon guy. The first day he was here, though, the video and the analytics people come down to sites and go, look, this is what he's doing. They show him like stick figure videos, not stick figure, but, you know, electronic stick figure. They show him clearly what he was doing different this year than he had in the past. They said, as Sites goes, normally I'd let you be here for a week or two, get to know you, get a feel for you before I dropped any of this on you. But we ain't got time to wait. We're trying to win a World Series. We're chasing the Mets. We need you to do this. Look it over. See what you think. Ask us any questions. And, and Grossman's like, I'm all in. I understand what you're talking about. Let's go try it. And they went in the, they went in the cage. They work on it. Next thing you know, the guy's hitting home runs and back-to-back games against the Mets from the left side. So all of a sudden, he's not a platoon guy anymore. He's playing every day, basically. And uh, with Rosario with his hamstring now, and with Marcelo Zuna, both a, a disaster on and off the field, it's really been big that Grossman is now hitting from both sides again and doing what he did with Detroit before this season. So he could, end, like you said, he could end up being really big for them. Uh, you know, at least holding that down until until maybe they have to you know do something with somebody else after. Ozzy gets back, 
I'm not sure. Like I said, they could they could always put the go send the kid to go play five games in Triple A in left field and see if he gets a feel for it. He's such an athlete that I think Grissom could pick it up in a hurry. But Grossman has been real big. He's a he's a one that everybody completely overlooked at the trade deadline. Another one of those deals that uh, like last year when they got Rosario, who was on the DL with Cleveland at the time, people were like, "Why are you getting Eddie Rosario?" And they got him for nothing. They gave uh, Pablo uh, uh, Sandoval to Cleveland. Sandoval at that point was completely done with the Braves. He had had like five pinch hit home runs early in the season or three home pitch and then nothing, nothing else. He was done. Cleveland took him and agreed they were just going to drop him as soon as they got him. It was just a it was a total uh, salary dump for Cleveland, sending Rosario to the Braves. He ends up being the NLCS MVP for him, and they signed a two-year deal in the offseason, really affordable deal. So, you know, Alex has done some good moves. We'll see. The only one that's really blown up in his face is Marcelo Zuna extension. <laughs> You're not going to hit on every one of them, man. And he's hit on far more than most GMs. Yeah, you mentioned Ozuna. Just got to ask you about him. Uh, charged with a DUI this week – just over, I think it was like 14 months ago. Yeah, 15 months. 15, yeah. Uh, domestic violence dispute. What do you think the Braves do with Marcelo Zuna? Well, it's never been like them to eat a lot of money on a contract. I mean, they've found ways, creative ways to get rid of guys like the Cuban third baseman they had years ago that the prospect they got that they ended up being not a good player at all. And they had to dump him after, after the long-term deal he had signed. Um, with Ozuna, though... It's like it's not just that he's been bad. It's that he's got these unseemly, you know, the the de- domestic violence thing is if if it hadn't been for the Braves going on the run, they did that happening in June. The fans didn't even see him again till this year. And by then they've won a World Series. They're like, OK, what the hell? They, and so he comes back out and they, you know, they were willing to take him on again. But if it had happened in the middle of the season. And they tried to continue playing him. That had been one thing, but he got suspended for the rest of the year. And he was injured at the time it happened, that domestic violence thing. So, but this year he's playing terrible. He's, he's hitting barely his weight again. He's got a, you know, 600 OPS. The only thing he's done is hit 20 homers. I mean, I, that's no small feat, but he's played terrible defense, hit 213 or something. It's just not been good. So then he goes out after not playing for four days and gets arrested at 3.30 in the morning on a DUI charge in suburban Atlanta. And it just looks terrible. I mean, it looks awful. The same guy that had been on six months probation uh, had those charges dropped because he entered a diversion program, you know. Um, And now the Braves are looking at, you know, it's like I talked about this on our podcast. Okay, yeah, it's $41 million. But you're not in the same position you were at a year ago when he had a domestic violence thing, you owed him $53 million. You're now raking in the dough you won a world series attendance is booming profits are through the roof you've signed these kids you've signed all these guys to these long-term extensions the way i look at it if it's a bottom line thing you don't want to give up 41 million look at the back end of some of these contracts like acuna's riley's you literally on austin riley are going to be saved more than 40 million dollars in two years on the back end of his contract than what you would have paid him if he'd gone to free agency so to me 41 million dollars yeah it's a lot but this guy's uh, it's addition by subtraction with this guy at this point, and uh, I think you got to do it. The other thing is, how about if you keep him? It was one thing you were taking on the risk after domestic violence of keeping him, and then something happens again like that, and then you look really bad. But now you're keeping him after a DUI. How about, God forbid, he goes out and has another one? 
and somebody gets hurt, how bad is the organization going to look for looking the other way after the domestic violence, give them a second chance after the DUI, and then he goes out and does something like that? I think that all plays into the calculus now when you're figuring out what you got to do. And I don't think you can afford to take that risk. Yeah, and his first game you know, since that. and, and got uh, booed today. Yeah, he got booed uh, here on Sunday. As Lustily. <laughs> multiple times as he came. And that doesn't happen in Atlanta. Atlanta's kind of like St. Louis. They don't boo their own, hmm. you know? Yeah, a couple times for sure. Well, let's end this interview here on a positive note because Mike Soroka, 25-year-old Canadian, he's back on the hill trying to rehab after being injured for a couple of years. He's a 2019 All-Star. He's only 25 now. Yeah. Uh, can you tell us about what he, where he is in his comeback attempt and if he will contribute this season on the Braves team? Well, I've gone from two weeks ago thinking, okay, they'd be lucky if he gets back and pitches a few innings in relief and feels good about himself. That way they can see him, know that next year he can be a factor and they'll tender him a contract next season. I've gone from that to after he made his start, his first start last week was at high A Rome. And he was terrific, surpassed all expectations, pitched four innings, struck out eight of the first nine guys, gave up one hit, and that was like in the fourth inning, soft hit, uh, no walks. I mean, he was outstanding. His sinker, he said it was as good as it's ever been. He said, I felt like I could get major league hitters out that night. Okay, so I go after that start, I'm thinking, okay, this guy can build on that. There's no reason he can't maybe be in the rotation at the end of the year. You know, I mean, if he, he's got another the 30 day rehab assignment, if they use the whole thing, he can build up, get up to about 80 pitches or whatever. Okay. So flash forward to today, he makes his second rehab start in triple a, and it's a lot more kind of realistic. You know, I think he went three and a third, give up six hits, a couple of runs, no strikeouts today. He went from eight strikeouts and in four innings to none today. So, Somewhere in the middle is probably happy is probably what he, where he really is. So I think we'll need to see what he has in the next couple of starts. But this guy is uh, super talented. He's done everything possible to get back from this. He's got a Achilles now that's twice been surgically repaired three times, two times complete repair, but three surgeries in all. One was a cleanup, and it's so wrapped so much they took a hamstring. Uh, Tendon. Uh, tendon from a cadaver, I think. I wrapped it so many times around the, the Achilles that really I don't know that it's possible that it could even tear again. <laughs> they wanted to make sure that, you know, I mean, he runs. He doesn't run very fast now, but he never really did. He doesn't really need to do that. He's not going to be dunking any basketballs, but I think he's safe with that, knock on wood. Um, and the arm is great, and he's put on – it looks like he's put on 15 pounds of muscle. I mean, he's just really put together now. Um really well conditioned during this time. He's used it wisely. Um, I think he could come back at the end of the year and, you know, they're only going to need four starters for the, uh, for the uh, playoffs. Yeah. What do they do here? You need four starters. Here's the thing. Strider's at a hundred innings. He's already gone over his career high, but he's strong. He's in great shape. He'd be incredible conditioned guy as far as stretching and all that. Uh, Strider doesn't think there's any reason why he needs to come out of the rotation. And the Braves are say there's no there's no innings limit. They're just going to monitor it. But if you had to, not as a demotion or anything, but they had Strider in the bullpen early on, and he was like a young Josh Hader going two innings, high leverage innings. If you have – because you got Max Fried, Charlie Morton, and, and Kyle Wright. That's three of the starters. If, if Soroka were to come back – or if Ian Anderson were to pitch well, you know, down the stretch. But if, if Soroka were to come back and you're able to use him 
in, in a starting role. It's a big if, but if Ian Anderson does it, either one of them, you could move Strider to the pen for the playoffs and use that guy in, in multi-inning high leverage, like the eighth and the ninth inning of a game if Kinley's down a game. Uh, you know, then you, you got Rossell Iglesias from the Angels, they're closer too. You got him now too. But if you could use Strider, because the bullpen's showing a little wear and tear now. Some guys that were pitching really well uh, have kind of started to show a little like like uh, Dylan Lee, Jackson Stevens, not quite as, as uh, locked down as they were. Matzik's still trying to put it back together. So so Strider is a bit of a piggyback guy, potentially. I mean, that's a piece, man. You could put him in that in a bullpen and really alleviate a lot of pressure because if you got that guy going there and just said, let it eat, man, he's in there throwing 101 in two inning rolls. Because yeah. he's throwing 9,900 as a starter. Yeah. If, if he's in a bullpen for two innings, I mean, he's in there throwing 101, just blowing guys away. Because yeah. they can't catch up to his fastball. Coming from five, five eleven or six foot where he is, and with that six foot six extension, it's like another half foot extension. He gets really low with these massive thighs he's got. And he comes in from like Kimbrell used to at Kimbrell's Peak. And it's just a different angle in the fastball than these other guys that throw 100 are all six foot four. He's six foot, and he's got such spin on it. He's got really good spin on his fastball that he's got the the visual effect of looking like it's rising. It's not actually rising, but that angle it's coming at, it's not going down, and he throws 101, so it's going straight. And guys just can't catch up to it. They're not used to seeing that angle at all, and he just blows guys away. Yeah, people He's impressive. continue to, to expect him to drop off because he was a reliever, because he was a two-pitch guy. But Yeah, that ain't happening, man. The heat is still flying by, guys, so uh, that yeah. is interesting. But, yeah, Mike Soroka really changes the calculus of a team. Cause yeah, that, we'll see. That we'll guy see. is phenomenal. Another starter, too. Yeah, he's not, he's not dunking basketballs, as you said, but there is a basketball tie. Good story. His dad is sending him videos of Kobe Bryant and his, yeah. and his mindset about when right. doubt sort of seeps in or his what, what he used to think of. And so that's helped him uh, you know, get through these troubled times, as you said, twice torn Achilles tendon. Oh, it doesn't man, happen he's, been very through, he's been through hell. Not many guys could get through that and maintain a positive outlook. This guy's one of the more positive guys you'll ever meet. It's a great guy, really affable dude. Just everybody loves him. And he has never gotten negative in this. If he did, he kept it to himself. I mean, two years of rehab. He has not pitched in the majors in two years. He's Canadian. Two complete he's, tears. He's just a good old Canadian boy. Uh, he is, man. I haven't met too many Canadians I didn't like. They're good people. I agree with you. I agree with you on that. Thank you, David, so much for coming right. on. Brave Reserve for The Athletic. 755 is real podcast. Really appreciate it coming on, David. All right. Thanks. No problem at all. Quick break here. Uh, but if you want to hear about a reporter injuring himself on a slide, stay tuned. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Welcome back to No Bunts. I did want to say, before we get to the five best things in baseball, that one of the best things in baseball this week was watching Albert Pujols and his 42-year-old swing hit two dingers in one game, becoming the oldest player in MLB history to have two dingers and four hits in one game. But I already had my five best things in baseball (laughs) planned. Couldn't stray from it whatsoever. So, J.D., let's get to the five best things in baseball this week. And we kind of had a theme. They're all sort of quirky. They weren't real baseball type stuff. So right. Right. had to go with it. We love yeah. themes here. Yeah, you're right. We do. It's kind of tied together, <laughs> I guess. Uh, at number one, a cell phone dropped out of the pocket of a player as he slid headfirst into third base. This is real. Kind of surprised that it doesn't happen a little bit more often in sports, period. Uh, but it's clear that this gentleman's pocket, Rodolfo Castro of the Pittsburgh Pirates, was carrying his cell phone in his back pocket as he slid headfirst into third because it slipped out. He had no idea that it slipped out of his uh, pocket. It hit the base. Uh, the umpire noticed and said, hey, hey, you. He was kind of, he was going to tell the coach, but he I guess the coach was kind of walking away, so he told Castro, "I, I got to ask you, JD. Do you think there was any punishment for this? Punishment for the player? Yeah. Who else would there be punishment for? I, I guess I the guess. team, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, no, I would say no. <laughs> was there? Yeah. What? Did, what? One game, suspended one game, and fined for violating MLB policy. Wow. Well, as a person, as a father with two kids who have phones. I'd give him five games <laughs> on the field with your phone. What do you yeah. need your phone for? I don't think you need it. Uh, it's pathetic. It's What's that screen? What, what, check his screen time. Check it. Mm. Like, like monitor if yeah. he had it open. Or just in general. If it's over like uh, three hours a day, mm-mm. Well, I was, Take it away. I was going to say you can monitor minute by minute if he had it, if, what he was looking at in the dugout. Exactly. He was definitely looking at something because he had his phone on the field. But as we heard, uh, Trevor May, New York Met, came on the show a couple months ago. Guys look at their phones. Or or actually, he was more responsible and he would summon a coach and say, hey, you, go find something out for me. Right. Right. That's what you do. Yeah. You're a baseball player. You can't get a coach to check your Instagram, though. No. Well, yeah, I mean, can't check your you DMs. <laughs> I think yeah, I just mean scroll in general. Anything interesting on there, man? <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, what's interesting is that we had two wedgies. What? In baseball this week. Now, one. Well, I mean, they're both minor league uh, wedgies. Still count. Still count. I think. Yeah, these are very different types of wedgies. For the first one, in front of the plate, a ball hit, got Oof. stuck directly in the dirt in front of the plate and it didn't move wow just just like a foot in front of the plate i guess it was sopping wet there or something 
and the catcher went and picked it up. They called it fair, and he was out. I mean, it's if fair. I'm not mistaken. It, it yeah. is fair, right? Yeah, it's fair. <laughs> I mean, it's not fair as in life isn't fair. No. But according to the rules of baseball, as far as I know, it's fair ball. Yeah, yeah. Hey, <laughs> you follow the rules. You, all, you <laughs> I, always have. As you know, I'm a serial rules follower. Uh, the second wedgie was Jay's prospect, Gabriel Moreno, blasted a ball. And it got stuck directly in the fence, not in the seams of the fence, but right in the fence. It made a new hole in the fence. And the left fielder played it smart. He played by the rules, put his hands up and said, hey, I can't play it. I can't pull that ball out. It's a ground rule double. It's a smart move because if he starts grabbing at it and he can't get it out for some odd reason, then Moreno could run the bases and it's a live ball or whatever. Uh, But two wedgies, one stuck in front of the plate, one, yeah, made a new hole in the wall. It's our third wedgie of the season because we had (laughs) another instance in Major League Baseball where the ball was stuck sort of in the seam of the the fence and and right above it. So there are wedgies. There are wedgies in in basketball and baseball, obviously. Let's get a wedgie tracker on it. I think we should count them all. We should. Moving on now, Albert Pujols probably should have replaced this one here, uh, <laughs> for being honest. Uh, but uh, I was excited because the Blue Jays Ross Stripling he came back. He, the Jays have needed another pitcher. We talked about Jose Barrios that he's been struggling. Well, Ross Stripling came back to fortify the rotation. He had a great a great game out there, and head coach or manager John Schneider said after the game, you can call him. Bob Ross, he was painting. Wow. Well done, John Schneider. Ross Stripling, now nicknamed Bob Ross by his manager, of all people. You don't usually see the manager with a quip like that. Uh, a very, very funny one. So we got the Photoshop, obviously, of Ross Stripling as Bob, Bob Ross. Ross. Yeah. yeah, from Andy on Twitter, <laughs> underscore rally cap. Beautiful. A beautiful ode to both Ross Stripling and Bob Ross. It's a it's a bit of a boomer nickname, let's be honest. Mm. I think. I don't know. Isn't it? Is is Bob Ross universal? No, yeah, I think I think he came back. Yeah. Like it, it's been a bit. I mean, well before his passing, you know, five, seven, eight years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Was it a pandemic thing? I think people were just into Bob Ross for a while. I mean, uh, yeah, that's, was... it's, it's true, actually. Yeah, he did. Uh, well, I think he was on Netflix, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. So he came back. I definitely watched a few of those episodes. Very relaxing. Very relaxing. Yeah. Great stuff. Uh, okay, this one we mentioned earlier. A reporter got <laughs> injured, unfortunately. So, backstory, when the Milwaukee Brewers hit a home run, their mascot goes down a slide beyond the left field fence. Okay. That's their home run celebration. The Dodgers were visiting, and Dodgers reporter for Sportsnet LA, David Vassay, wanted to do it. He was so pumped to go down the slide himself. So he did. And I first saw it uh, when he he went down. He's yelling, holy. And he <laughs> collides with the wall immediately. Ugh. And it's it's a short slide. It's like one curve but it's pretty quick and he's going pretty fast and he kind of gets twisted around and he goes 
shoulder <laughs> shoulder directly into the mat, and then he jumps back on. He doesn't miss a game or anything. He shows up and does his report. And there's a funny clip of him saying, hey, guys, as he raises his broken wrist. He's got a cast on his broken wrist from that slide. Not only did he break his wrist, but he cracked six ribs. Can you believe that? No, I can't. Because it looks so... It looks innocuous. I mean, he hits the wall pretty hard, but it's all padded and stuff. But if you look, he's got... He's definitely in an awkward position when when he hits the wall. I mean, it's... Yeah. No, he's in a, a vulnerable position. And all his body weight is right up against that wrist. I mean, the wrist, I'm not surprised, but the the ribs. Yeah. That's yeah. A, and yeah. he's clutching his ribs there, too. It's Now seeing it again, I can see how his wrist got kind of. Yeah, it just kind of got behind him and his, all his body weight goes into it. Uh, it's a funny shot, though, not, with the cast. Yeah. <laughs> it is very funny. Yeah, it, it, You know, it's not funny. Talking about a man breaking his wrist and six ribs, but it's he made it funny afterwards. No, it's Uh, the bounce back that's the best thing. Yes, it's not the it's not the actual. Well, that part's funny. Come on, let's. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, (laughs) uh, but I guess it it wasn't it wasn't you know regular human proofed that slide. I guess because it's a mascot who goes down it. And as we know, having met, well, the basketball mascots are super athletes. You know, we're meeting Benny the Bull that time and the Raptor is one of our faves. I mean, these guys are elite athletes. Mm-hmm. So they're used to it. And stunt people, really. And they they yeah. know how to, you can't just go down a slide like that. It's not, I don't think that's slides to code, right? <laughs> you can't just go down a slide. It's a slide. Yeah, well, obviously not. <laughs> obviously he broke not. six ribs and his wrist. Uh, it, it, yeah, I just, I, I never feel bad for mascots. Like we had, no. um, we had Kenny Beecham on earlier this year. He threw out a first pitch of the White Sox game. Yeah. They told him, don't throw it too hard to the mascot who's your <laughs> receiver because he can't really see out of his... His eyes, the the head. Yeah, but if you hit him in the head, it's not going to hurt. No, but it's going to look bad. Oh, I suppose. But yeah, you're right. He's not going to... I don't know. <laughs> Is he wearing a cup? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Uh, that's a that's a great question, JD. Mm-hmm. I, I was since I've been playing softball, I saw a uh, a stray cup uh, on on the pavement. Just as like, you do, yeah, exactly. It was so <laughs> odd, so odd to see a cup out there in the wild, just left there. Mm-hmm. Um, you think I picked it up? Uh, I think you did, and you you filled it with water and took a sip because <laughs> after your marathon, you were so thirsty. Well done. Well done, Shady. Uh, Also, well done to the Giants' Joey Bart, who had the perfect bunt. Mm. And he's a catcher as well. Uh, Laying down a bunt. And it was perfect because it rolled down the third baseline. And it made direct contact with the base. The third baseman, I guess, had so much respect for Joey Bart's speed that he didn't even try and make the play. He thought, I'm going to try and let it go foul. Yeah, I guess Joey Bart's a fast catcher. I mean, I brought that up because, yeah, I, you know, in my day, catchers didn't lay down bunts to try and have a base hit, but it was the perfect bunt. It's no bunts here, so I had to include it. it. Hits the base. It's a base hit, baby, through and through. So a pretty beautiful bunt. Since we started this show, there's actually been a lot of bunts talk mm-hmm. ever since we started. <laughs> there's no doubt about it. It comes up a lot more than I thought it would. Yeah, part of the name... Is 
in in the name is the the fact that I love bunts. Um, I I've always loved the art of the bunt. Yeah. So. I, it was inevitable. Know, the, all, the few times that I've played, I've always thought, okay, I'd be really good at it because you can hold the bat like, you know, up. You choke up on it and just mm-hmm. sort of yeah. lean into it, put your body in front of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, 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 it's hand-eye coordination. It's not like, uh, you, know, you don't have to be that fluid with the no. bat. No. You uh, just have to sort of have to knock it down. Yeah, you're catching it, really. Yeah. Um, it's fun. It's fun. I miss it. I think bunts are way down. Do you buy? Do you bunt in softball? No, it's softball. Well, I don't know. <laughs> no, it's not competitive. I mean, it's. I guess you call it competitive, but it's. You're not bunting to sacrifice yourself to get other people out, or no, or trying to get on base. You swing the softball stick. Right. Nah, yeah. Right. There's none of that. Okay. Uh, I wonder. Nah, I'd say even in fast pitch softball, there's bunting actually. No, there's bunting in fast okay. pitch softball. If I'm not mistaken. So Mm -hmm. there you go. Fair question. A fair question. Thank you. Thank you. I'm learning every day on this show. I'm learning. (laughs) No, but I play beer league softball. Uh, (laughs) So no. Uh, Anyways, thank you to Chris Kirshner for coming on the show. That was fantastic. Thank you to David O'Brien for coming on the show. You can read both of their stuff at The Athletic. Uh, Make sure to check out No Breaks. Is this good? And we've got a No Dunks episode about NBA Jam duos coming this week. So be sure to check that out. But for now, Clipper Bros. You heard it here first. Have a great time. Turn up. Love you guys. Awesome. Thanks for joining us. And remember, the uglier your feet, the more shit you've seen. (laughs) Embrace uh, the bunts, people. (laughs) 